Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. We begin a new series today. And anybody who knows me knows that I love series when we begin them, and by the time we get to the end, I'm so ready for something new. So I'm ready for this series. We're going to begin a new series today, uh, but before we get into it, I want to say thank you to all of you who have helped contribute to our Mexico project that's coming up in a couple weeks. We're going to go down and build a house for a pastor that's part of a church planting network down there. They've built over 50 churches. Last year, we built a school with them right next to a church so they could attract families to the church. And this year, we're building a house for one of their pastors. And we said, a few weeks ago, we said that if every giving unit in Real Life Church gives 24 extra dollars in 2024, $24 in 2024, we could uh, give that church planting network the $7,000 it costs to have all the materials for the house. And uh, we're about 65% of the way there. So thanks to all of you who have donated. And if you still want to do that, you can go to reallife.la forward slash give. All that money goes down to Mexico. We don't keep any of that. Uh, and, uh, and you are helping do a great thing for people who uh, need churches, need pastors. So thanks for those of you who have contributed. All right. So I remember a, a moment a few years ago when I went to what is called a virtual reality experience before you can buy those virtual reality headsets and have them in your own home. Uh, there have been some cheaper ones that have been out for a few years. I know there's a very big expensive one that came out from Apple just like this last week, and I am, I'm not spending that kind of money. But before that, years ago, I went to what was called a virtual reality experience. It was in a shopping mall. They had turned one of the storefronts into this experience. And I went with a couple families from uh, our church. I think I went with the Swires and the Scoffagers. And uh, what happened is you go into this, this room, and there's a, it's sort of a, a dressing room, and you put on the headsets, and then you put on a backpack that has sensors that run down your hands and your feet to track your motion. And then you walk into the next room where the experience happens. And for a second, you're in complete darkness. You know, your team is all around you, but nobody can see anything. And then a new world turns on. You are suddenly immersed in a 360-degree experience that feels almost real, but you know it's not. You know you're standing in an empty room with your friends, and all of a sudden, all around you, you see the ocean. And you're on a ski-doo going across the ocean, and you dive into the ocean, and a whale goes by. A whale-sized whale goes by. And it feels like you could reach out and touch it. And you can see the other members of your team, the other members of your party, because, because their sensors are projecting into your headset where they are. And they appear like little cartoon characters, but you can see where they are and you're on an adventure together. And then all of a sudden in the next scene, you're in uh, the jungle and you're like Indiana Jones adventurers wandering through an abandoned temple and running away from snakes and scorpions. It was incredible. I came out of there thinking not only that it was fun, but that I was seeing a little glimpse of the future. As we all sat down for ice cream to discuss what we had just experienced, 
we realized that at some point these VR headsets would be in every home as common as computers and cell phones. And education was going to be transformed by these things. Imagine a child not sitting down to read a boring textbook with yellow pictures about ancient Egypt and starting to memorize dates because there was going to be a test. Imagine a child getting a 360 degree tour through the pyramids, walking through being led by Cleopatra who explains her world to them. That is coming in the near future. Education is going to be upended by this thing. It's never going to be the same again. A, a generation is going to rise up very soon in our lifetime who is unimpressed by those things because they're so commonplace. I got a taste of the future. And I'd like that for you too. So hey, look under your chair right now. Yeah, there's nothing there. I didn't come in your house and tape something under your chair. That'd be creepy. And what do you think I am? Oprah, you get a headset. You get a headset. You get a headset. <laughs> this, isn't a, this isn't a VR offer. This is an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. There was a time in, in history where Jesus preached a sermon that was radical, otherworldly, countercultural, counterintuitive, counterinstinctive, kingdom breaking, power imbalancing, and life changing. It's probably the most significant sermon that has been preached in all of history. It has absolutely changed the world. And it's contained in the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. And in the weeks to come, we're going to read this sermon together line by line and immerse ourselves in this other world that Jesus is inviting us to. It, it is a a taste of the future. It's not just inspirational. It's a promise of things to come. Because when we follow Jesus, we're headed towards a kingdom of heaven, but it starts right now. So let me set up the context of the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded by Matthew. And Matthew was a Jewish tax collector, which is really interesting because as a Jewish man, it meant he understood the law. He understood what it meant to be judged severely by a very rigid and detailed law. And because he was a tax collector, he actually worked for the Roman government to take money away from his own people, the Jewish people, to give it to foreign adversaries who were ruling over them. He was literally robbing from his own people to pay the enemy. So the Jewish law would have found him guilty because he was not faithful to Israel. And yet, as somebody who worked for the government, he knew how the, the laws of the state could oppress people, could put heavy tax burdens on them, and how people who worked within the system of the state could steal money out of it and hurt the people worse. He knew how religious law and state law both hurt people. And so Matthew writes to a Jewish audience to offer them an alternative to the kinds of law that they know. Matthew uh, was chosen by Jesus and loved by Jesus when no one else would love him. And in Jesus, Matthew finds a new kingdom. 
Some scholars have observed that there are five major blocks of teaching by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, and some people suspect that Matthew put them together that way as an alternative to the five books of the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. That may or may not be the case, but it certainly captures the spirit of Matthew because a lot of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount go this way. They say, you've heard it said in the old law this, but now I say to you that. You've heard it said don't murder, but I say now don't even hold on to anger. You've heard it said don't commit adultery, but now I tell you don't even look at someone lustfully. Matthew is offering an alternative and law-breaking invitation to citizenship in Jesus' kingdom. And it begins with the introduction that I'm going to read today. Pray with me. Jesus, we come to listen to this sermon that some of us have heard before, and we've heard of, and we know of its influence. And if we've read it a few times, we may have settled into treating it as just normal or sweet or inspirational. Use it to, to break the kingdoms that we have committed ourselves to and open us up to a whole new world. Use it to change our hearts and change our minds. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This is the opening section of the Sermon on the Mount. And this first section is often called the Beatitudes. That's not what Jesus called it. That's not what Matthew called it. But that's how it's been labeled, which just means the blessings, uh, we could say. But what it is is the opening curtain to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now remember, the Greek word for blessed here is makarios, which just means happy. Uh, and, and literally happy the way you think of happy. It's not anything particularly spiritual or religious. It is just the Greek word for happy. And what Jesus is doing here is offering a campaign speech for his kingdom. There was a famous 1920s American political speech that promised a chicken in every pot and two cars in every garage. That was a campaign speech from a presidential candidate saying, if you make me your leader, this is what my kingdom will look like. This is what you will get. And this is Jesus' campaign speech for the kingdom that he is bringing. But if you've read this before, if you've seen this on cute flowery Hallmark cards and posted on Instagram sites as sweet little passing morning reflections, you may miss the passion with which this was preached, with which this future king 
invited people into his kingdom. Try and read it with the passion with which Jesus intended it. These are not a series of commands. Go and mourn. Go and be meek. These are a series of promises. If you are mourning, if you are meek, I'm going to offer you a better kingdom. This is the who of the who the sermon is for. This is for those who have experienced all of these things. And this is how it should be read. If life in this world has left you empty, poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is for you. The, the word for poor here is the Greek word that's used for financial poverty. Everywhere else in the Bible, it's referring to financial poverty. So it's literally saying, if spiritually that you are so empty in this world that it feels like homelessness, if it feels like you do not have a spiritual home in this world, there is a home that is being prepared for you. Jesus said before he died, I am going to prepare a place for you. In my father's mansion, there are many rooms. If you feel cheated in this world, if you feel like people have treated you unfairly and gotten away with it, if you feel like no one understands you, Jesus says, I have a home for you. I have a home for you. If life in this world has left you in tears, left you mourning, come to my world and be comforted. If death has separated you from someone that you loved, in my world, there will be no more death. If you are so heartbroken that you cannot sleep at night, in my world, all tears will be wiped away. If, in this, wor if this world, uh, if life in this world has made you feel small, meek, and unimportant, if you feel like you always get stepped on and overlooked, in my world, you matter. I will put you in charge of everything. I choose you to lead. Like Matthew, the tax collector, who's hated by his own people, called a traitor, and used as a pawn in Caesar's empire and a cog in the machine. In my world, I call you my friend. You are the friend of the king. I will not use you. I know you by name. If you are so tired of watching criminals get away with it and politicians line their own pockets, if you've seen the advantage exploit those who have no voice in my kingdom, Justice will roll down like a river and righteousness like a mighty stream. There won't be crime in my kingdom. We can leave the doors open all day and all night and not worry about it. Don't go get revenge. Leave it to me to judge. If you have been merciful to people who have wronged you, and all you get in response is people who want to get revenge on you when you do wrong. You know, you bump into someone or someone bumps into you in your car and you let them off and then you bump into someone and that person sues you. In my kingdom, your mercy will not go unnoticed. I will forgive you the way that you have forgiven others. 
When other people sneak around in the shadows, getting away with all kinds of depravity, but you do the right thing because you know it's the right thing, you are going to be ushered into the throne room and you get to see the king. Those who are sneaking around will get what they deserve. They'll get theirs. And the day will come where everything they did in the darkness will have a spotlight shown on it and everybody will see it. They will get dragged into the throne room of the king. You get to walk in on the red carpet. And if, as you stand for me and for my kingdom, people ridicule you, reject you, beat you, kill you, Know that an evil and broken world has always been that way. But you and I are going to a place and a time where the old is washed away. And I will make everything new. Here are the consequences. Here's what's coming next in the few weeks uh, as we immerse ourselves in this constitution of the new kingdom to which we have just been offered citizenship. When you put on VR glasses, you are transported to a world that looks and feels real, but you know it's not. When you awaken from a dream, you go the other way into something that's not as real, into something that's more real. But the, the line is a little bit more blurry because when you're dreaming, you don't know that you're dreaming. When, you're, when you enter into Jesus' kingdom, you realize that the world you have been living in, the kingdoms of this world, have been giving you a false bill of sale. They've been giving you false promises and false hope. You suddenly realize that you are awakening to something around you that you couldn't see. You've been in the matrix. And what you see now is more real than where you came from. In fact, what you see now is being superimposed on top of the world that you've been living in so that this earth is transformed. And that is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that God's kingdom would take over and transform the world we've been living in. This is a new kingdom with new patterns of citizenship. And if you want the new one, you have to stop living in the old one. You don't have to move. You have to change the citizenship right now where you're living. You want to know what that looks like? Start this week reading Matthew 5 through 7. We're going to preach on it week after week, line after line, but you need to read this yourself in your daily Bible study. We Start reading Matthew 5 through 7. There was a Jesus follower named Francis who lived a few hundred years ago and after whom San Francisco is now named today. He encountered Jesus and he read the Sermon on the Mount and it changed everything he was and everything he lived for. He wrote a rule of life, a little guidebook on how life should be lived, and it has changed the lives of thousands of Franciscan monks who have followed in his footsteps, and also all of those who have been inspired by his life. His rule, the rule of Francis, is largely based on the Sermon on the Mount. He gave up the wealth of his uh, father's business to live a, a poor life as a beggar. He gave up social respect and marriage and normalcy to care for the poor. And he gave up everything this world had to offer him because he believed that the next world was more real than this one. 
His name will forevermore be famous because he painted a picture for us of an entirely different kind of kingdom and an entirely different kind of life. And his friends said that what happened to St. Francis of Assisi was simply that he had been the first person to listen to and faithfully live out the Sermon on the Mount since Jesus first preached it. They said that no one had ever lived the Sermon on the Mount before Francis, and no one lived it as well as he did. If that's the case, then let's see in the weeks to come what Jesus' famous sermon will do to you and I. Pray with me. Jesus, we want to inherit your kingdom. This world leaves us mourning and broken. We want to be people who are pure in heart. We want to be people who endure what comes for the sake of your name so that we get to be citizens in your kingdom, so that we get to call you our king. So we place our lives in your hands. Forgive our sins, make us new, and set us free to real life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Start reading the Sermon on the Mount, and let's go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap Give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.